Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Feminization Boudoir. I am your host, Kylie Gable from Candy Apple Press, and I am about to take my life into my own hands. You see, today's episode is called The Picture of Christmas, and it's the second of three stories that I have done, um, basically on the principle of what if a certain greeting card company who has a cable channel and makes Christmas movies made forced feminization movies? Um, the first one was called The Christmas Inn. This is the second one from last year called The Picture of Christmas. And just today I released the third one called Prisoner of Christmas. So here's where I take my life into my own hands. Mistress DJ, who... Uh, everybody, especially I think Sissy Brenda can attest, is a very intimidating woman when she wants to be, who knows more about BDSM than most people have forgotten, also has a real soft spot for these Hallmark Christmas movies. So, with me having a desire to write them, and her having a desire to watch, it only made sense to have her record this uh, particular story. And she does a great job, but the story is, is short. It only comes out to about 32 minutes, and I frankly didn't want to give you a 15-minute show. So for this podcast, I'm just playing the whole thing. If you like it, I hope you'll support it and consider going to Clips for Sale to purchase a copy. The cover's a little different on Clips for Sale because of their rules, but um, it's up there. I just put it up there now. And I really, if you like it, I hope you'll support it. But I wanted to give you kind of my Christmas gift to you is the whole 30-minute audio instead of just cutting it in half or even 60% like I usually do. So without further ado, it's the story of a wealthy developer and a big city girl returning to her hometown and lots of female domination and feminization to put you in the holiday spirit. Without further ado, here's Mistress DJ reading the story called Picture of Christmas. The Picture of Christmas, written by Kylie Gable and Claudia Costa, published by Kiyapa Press. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Bell's photography studio was tucked away on a quiet corner of Milk River, Wisconsin, close enough to Main Street to hear all the sounds and excitement, but far enough away for privacy. And privacy was definitely what was called for. The three young girls walked down the street, arm in arm, and into the photography studio where 18-year-old Holly Bell was working. Did you have any problems? asked Holly, whose fashionable blonde bob crowned a face that was as pretty as any of the photographs in the studio. Piece of cake, said her friend Carol Bussey, a slightly chubby girl with auburn hair, and a way of looking at people that made them feel like the two of them were the only two people in the whole room. Angela can be very persuasive. I do have my ways, said Angela Snowden. I wasn't the one who figured out how to bind and gag a guy and walk him through streets of town without anybody being the wiser, said the tall, dark beauty. She was prettier than most of the girls in school and tougher than most of the guys. Oomph, cried the girl between Angela and Carol. Of course, it wasn't a girl at all, but Jimmy Taggart, who had become something of a project for the girls. He resisted, of course, but Carol and Angela had gotten him to come with them to the photography studio by cutting out the pockets from one of Angela's old winter coats. Once his hands were stuck through the pocket holes, they were restrained to his body. He was then gagged with his own sweat socks and duct tape, but a winter scarf hid it very well. 
Here you go, said Holly, removing the gag. What are you doing to me, asked Jimmy. You finally crossed the line, Jimmy. You need to learn a lesson. We talked to your sister, and she's agreed to let you take her place in the competition for Ice Princess, explained Carol. That won't work, said Jimmy nervously. Carol is a whiz with a makeup brush, and just wait until you see what Holly can do with a camera, said Angela. Jimmy tried to make a run for it, but was quickly grabbed by Carol and Angela. With his hands bound to his side, he was relatively helpless. Now, let's get you into your outfit, said Angela, spying the sparkly sequin midnight blue skater dress on a hanger in the studio. I think it'll look great with your eyes. I'm sure we won't have any problems, will we, Jimmy? asked Carol. No, replied Jimmy glumly. Let's make magic, said Holly. It was a tough week-long process and relied as much on Angela's ability to kick Jimmy's ass and Carol's ability to tie inescapable knots as on any grand strategy. But when they were done, the girls had managed to get Jimmy elected as ice princess. Of course, people thought it was his sister Janet, but nobody cheered louder than she did at the thought of her obnoxious brother having to stand on the parade float in a glittery gown, waving and blowing kisses at the good people of Milk River. Revenge is a dish best served cold, and it doesn't get much colder than Wisconsin in late December. Walking through downtown Milk River, Wisconsin, was like seeing an elderly relative on life support in the hospital. It was the image freshest in your mind, but you wanted to remember her 20 years earlier, when she wasn't so sickly, and she was full of life. Since servicemen returned home after World War II, Milk River was a great place to grow up. The town itself was located in dairy country, but the dairy farms weren't in Milk River proper. Instead, it was that sort of small town that guys like Frank Capra and Norman Rockwell used to celebrate. Milk River did Christmas like nobody else did Christmas. The entire downtown put out its best, and shopping during Christmas was an experience, even if you didn't buy anything. Edna May's Diner was the place for a piece of pie or a cup of cocoa, even if Edna May passed on in 2004 and her daughter Virginia had been running it ever since. There was Hoppelman's Hardware, where all the men in town window shopped. Henry Hoppelman always had hot cider available for anyone who wanted it. There was Hoppelman's Hardware, where all the men in town window shopped. Henry Hoppelman always had hot cider available for anyone who wanted it, though that stopped in 1998 when his wife Irene died of cancer, on December 25th of all days. Now, Christmas was the day of the year he hated more than any other. Naples Bakery, the Ivory Box Gifts, and all the little shops and boutiques felt like they were one bad month away from closing their doors permanently. It was depressing. The town had survived big box stores invasions of the 90s, but the online shopping revolution had done them in. Even if the town still liked things the way they were, all the tourists who used to make the drive to see the colorful downtown lit up like a Christmas tree were no longer making the trip. It just didn't seem like the small town of 18,000 could keep such a vibrant downtown alive on its own. Even the Christmas parade was only a shadow of its former self. Holly Bell wondered if she made the right choice returning to her old hometown. She'd left for the University of Wisconsin at the age of 18, and though she'd been home visiting since, she'd moved on to the exciting world of fashion photography. She'd actually made quite a name for herself in New York, and a number of people have noticed including the town's progressive young mayor, Carol Bussey, who'd been Holly's childhood friend. It was a team effort by Holly's mom and Carol that had convinced Holly to leave her glamorous life in the big city for a couple of weeks back home. 
Had it all been a mistake? Holly walked the rest of the way home. She'd made the trip so many times, it was still automatic after all these years. She saw the familiar white turn of the century home with the cozy deck and the large fenced-in backyard where she'd spent her best days. The decorations her parents had skillfully hung were the same ones that they had when she was growing up. Walking in the front door, she saw her mom was already baking in the kitchen. The house smelled of old recipes, good memories, and sugar. Lots of sugar. Hi, dear. I'm so glad you made it home for Christmas, said Holly's mom. She was nearly 70, but she could pass for her mid-50s. People always got the impression that her dad had robbed the cradle, but mom was only a few months younger. I'm glad to be here. I was hoping dad would be home. He's still at the photography studio, trying to get whatever business he can. Well, this is the quiet time with all the Christmas card pictures already done. Dear, nobody gets Christmas card pictures anymore. If they do, they just take them themselves on their fancy phones. Times are really hard, aren't they? Tough times never last, Holly. Tough people do. We're not doing great, but we saved some in good years, and that's helping us now. In other words, you've tapped into your retirement accounts, asked Holly. It was a rainy day fun. We're having a rainy day now. Did my clothes get here? Yes, they've been here since yesterday. Why didn't you bring them with you? It's $50 a bag on a plane and 25 to have them shipped. You always were a frugal one. I almost forgot. Mayor Bussy called for you. Carol Bussy? Wow, it's been ages. Edna May's diner was a bit quieter than Holly remembered, but the booths and the smell of fresh-baked bread were still the same. It would have been easy for people in a town with limited restaurant options to get bored in a town this size, but Edna May's always hit the spot. Holly recognized Carol right away. At nearly 40 years older, the figure might not have been the same, but the warm smile and dimples remained. Carol's whole face lit up when she saw her old friend enter. Wow, you literally haven't aged since the day you graduated from Milk River High, said Carol. The town hasn't changed much either, said Holly, and neither have you. We're both hanging in there, but we're showing signs of age, replied Carol, changing the tone a bit. I've noticed downtown seems dead. It's definitely on life support. I know Taggart would love to drive the final nails in the coffin. Taggart? Jimmy Taggart? That's James now, but he's still the same little shit he always was, replied Carol. He's a developer, and he's bought up most of the property downtown. He wants to turn it into some mega-discount shopping superplex. It's not exactly a great time to be vesting in brick-and-mortar shopping centers, said Holly. No, but it'll absolutely kill what's left of Milk River. And that just may be what he wants anyway, said Carol. We need to put him in his place like we did in high school, said Holly. I think I still have all the wonderful pictures you took, but it wouldn't do for the town's mayor to be implicated in such a scandal, joked Carol. I think there would actually be quite a scandal if the town found out that in 2002, the Ice Princess wasn't what she appeared to be, agreed Holly. It sure was fun, though. He'd be mortified if those pictures got out, said Carol. Well, I did go for maximum embarrassment. We didn't have a glamour shots but I totally tried to copy the aesthetic. To think, Jimmy was your first model. I've come a long way, baby, joked Holly. I know that you're home for vacation, but do you think you might have time to do a little bit of work for good old Milk River? Uh-oh, what's the pitch? We really would love to have a pictorial of the town at Christmas. The good parts. I know this sort of thing is behind a highly sought-after fashion model, but it would mean a lot. Do you think it would make a difference? I don't know, but we won't go down without a fight. 
Besides, you can work with my aid. As tempting as that may be, Doug Clancy is my aid. The Doug Clancy? One and the same, said Carol. You know I won't turn down helping my hometown, but does Doug still look as good as he did at 18? <laughs> Much better. I'm in, not because of Doug, but because I'd hate for you to have to get a real job. <laughs> You're all heart. Holly thought about her friend's job offer. It would take hours to properly film the town, and it would pay her less than 15 minutes worth of work with one of her usual clients. When she decided not to think about the money, it opened her to a new realization. Depicting Milk River as it was would be close to impossible if they tried to do it on Main Street. There were other places in town untouched by the ups and downs of the commercial business scene. For as long as anybody could remember, kids had been skating and sledding in the large vacant field behind the lumberyard. An army of volunteers assisted the owners of the yard in maintaining the frozen pond, where children skated and supervising everybody enjoying themselves. Holly sat on a bench and began to snap all the happy children, enjoying the last few hours of daylight after school let out. It was no different than 25 years ago when Carol, Holly, and the rest of their friends had been out there themselves. Holly was surprised when the courier and Ives-like scene was interrupted, but the sight of a sheriff's vehicle driving through the field with its lights on. A little man in a navy blue suit jumped out with a bullhorn in hand and began yelling at the children. I have purchased this lumber mill from McMahon Brothers. I have big plans for this property, and unfortunately, that includes the pond and the hill. You are now trespassing, and you need to leave. Wow, what a jerk, mumbled Holly. Everybody leave. Everybody leave right now, insisted the man with the bullhorn. Soon, from the top of the hill, a snowball hit the man in the back of the head, and then a whole barrage was launched. He wound up having to head back into the police car to avoid the angry kids, and the sheriff and his deputy were forced to clear the children from the land that their parents and many of their grandparents had been allowed to play in freely. Holly couldn't resist taking pictures of the children being herded and kicked out by the sheriffs, though she knew that wasn't exactly the sort of thing Carol was looking for. When she took a picture of the little man in the back of the sheriff's car, he glowered at her, and she instantly recognized him. It was Jimmy Taggart. A red pickup truck pulled up, and a man in a car hard jacket stepped out. The light brown scrub of his beard blended in with the rosy glow of his cheeks, and even in the strong winds, his hair stayed perfect. Holly instantly recognized him as Doug Clancy and decided Carol was right. He did look better now than at 18. Taggart, get out of the car, demanded Doug. Instead, Taggart rolled down the window and shouted at Doug, I'm within my rights, Clancy. Tell that mare of yours she can sue me if she wants, but I bought the lumber yard, and that includes the pond and the hill. You're not building anything on it now. Why not let the kids keep using it? Are you kidding? asked Taggart. If one of those little brats falls, I'm liable. Milk River would cover it, assured Clancy. No wonder taxes are so high here. That mare of yours is hemorrhaging money, barked Taggart. Hey, princess, said Holly, approaching the car. She loved the way that Jimmy turned white as a ghost when he saw her. Even better, he was completely trapped until the sheriff's returned. Remember when you used to skate? Holly Bell, you must have really fallen on hard times to be back here, sneered Taggart. I'm here for a retrospective of my high school pictures. I'm going to make you famous, taunted Holly. The sheriff finally returned and the car was able to speed away, but Holly definitely enjoyed that she got to give Taggart a hard time. Wow, Holly Bell! Carol said you were coming for the holidays, but I didn't believe it. 
You haven't changed a bit, said Doug. You've changed for the better, replied Holly. Your skin cleared up, and I definitely approve of that beard. We're going to be working together on this pictorial profile of the town, said Doug. I can't wait to hear about your ideas. I have some for sure, but I don't think we want to promote a skating pond or a sledding hill that's now close to the public. We'll figure it out. How have you been? New York is so different from this. It's so busy, but I think maybe a bit of quiet is just what I need. Milk River is so quiet. I think you might just be what this town needs. It's awfully quiet. Do you ever regret not leaving? No, I don't. I do regret injuring my knee and losing the hockey scholarship, but life here has been pretty good. Are you married? No, it's just me and my terrier tango. She's my only girl right now. How about you? Are you seeing a famous model? Are you kidding? Who has time to date? And besides, there's nothing worse than going out to dinner with a guy who eats half of what you do. What was that between you and Taggart? He generally seems scared of you. He should be, said Holly. Let's just say I have something on him that would really embarrass him. I don't suppose you'd like to do that now. I've got some great contacts with the Milk River Courier News, said Doug. Unfortunately, it would put your boss in a bad light too, said Holly. It does give me an idea for this pictorial. I realize that focusing on the buildings and the shops isn't the way to go. But we want to attract the shoppers, said Doug. Right. But a lot of towns have buildings like Milk River. What makes it stand out is the people. We'll get the businesses in it for sure, but it's the people we need to focus on, explained Holly. The townspeople? If nothing else, they'll love their moment of fame. I'm also thinking of a character who will be like a Christmas angel, who will be everywhere people are enjoying the holiday. Like with wings and stuff? I'm thinking of doing that to introduce her, but after that she'll be in more normal clothes having fun. You're the expert here. How can I help, asked Doug. Give your boss a call and get Angela Snowden's phone number. I think we're about to have some fun. Just because I think we could do it doesn't mean I don't think it's crazy, said Angela. Carol really has to keep her nose clean, for one thing. I'm a small town mayor. It's not like I'm running for president, said Carol. Besides, my approval would go up 20 points if people thought I did something mean to that creep. No, we do need to be careful, said Holly. I think we can do it, too. Then it's settled, said Carol, raising her glass of hard apple cider and toasting her two friends. We'll do it tonight. Yeah, it's going to take a lot of time to get him ready. And then they're setting up for pictures, replied Holly. Don't forget convincing him, suggested Angela. That's what we're counting on you for, said Carol. A few short hours later, the women had reassembled. The color for the evening was black, and what they were doing was not only illegal— the fact that Carol was the mayor of the town virtually guaranteed it would get massive media coverage. It didn't matter. They had a mission to do, and just like when they were 18, they intended to do it. If Doug finds out, he's going to kill me, said Carol, as she opened the gate leading up to James Taggart's palatial home. When did Milk River get houses like this, asked Holly. He bought two houses and tore them down to build this thing, said Angela. Then he's definitely going to have security, said Holly. How are we going to get inside? Can any of us even pick a lock? asked Carol. Of course not, said Holly. I'll get him to open the door. You need to hide and be ready to pounce when he opens the door. He's going to know it's us. And I suggest we wear black to try to cut down on anybody else recognizing us, said Carol. Go for it, agreed Angela. Carol quickly dialed her phone and spoke with a tone of righteous anger. Taggart, get your ass out here. Do you really think I care what time it is? You've gone too far this time. 
and maybe this town would like to know who they elected Ice Princess in 2002. I don't care if I implicate myself. You've gone too far this time. Now, get out here. As Carol hung up the phone, both Holly and Angela looked at her confused. Look, he's going to come out here in a few minutes after he gets dressed. Be ready to strike. If I lose my job and we save downtown, I'll accept the trade-off, said Carol. Sure enough, five minutes later, Taggart was dressed and walking out onto the porch. Now what's this all about, he demanded. It's nearly three in the morning. He was so determined to tell Carol off that he didn't notice Holly and Angela had creeped up behind him until he felt Angela twist his arm and wrench it up high behind his back. Did you miss me, Jimmy? asked Angela as she applied pressure. I think Jimmy's inviting us all in, said Holly. Let me go at once or I'll call the police, demanded Taggart. Your choice, said Carol. However, if you do that, all of your Ice Princess photos are going public. You're bluffing. What you did was highly illegal, and I guarantee I'll destroy you as a political figure. Nobody wants a con for a mayor, barked Taggart. Maybe you haven't noticed, but you're not exactly popular around here, said Angela, steering Taggart back towards the front door. I bet they'd build Carol a statue if they found out what she did. Now, let's go inside and talk this over like civilized people. Once inside, Angela unceremoniously dumped Taggart on the couch. You three are in, began the angry developer. Shove it, Taggart, said Carol. We're here to make you an offer you can't refuse. Watch me, said Taggart. We can make all the pictures of you as Ice Princess very public. We'll even put them on the town cable television channel. Or you can agree to do some more modeling work for us. And nobody will even know it's you, offered Carol. Modeling work? If this involves me wearing women's clothes again, you can forget it, said Taggart. We can make you, you know. We did it before. You wouldn't dare, said Taggart, in a heartbeat. But before I go there, I'm going to offer you one more chance to do this the easy way, said Angela. I'd take it, said Holly. She's serious. I have my dignity, said Taggart. Then you better say yes, because if you don't work with us, we won't leave you with any. The women looked at Taggart. He was running scenarios in his head, and every single one of them he ended up losing. They really could overpower him and force him. Carol would probably gain in popularity, and hated as he was right now. Holly had all the pictures, and even if he could ruin the women, he'd be ruined too. Might be better to play along. Come daybreak, he could make an escape from these crazy women. So, if I agree, then you three harpies will make sure my identity is concealed completely? asked Taggart. Don't think of us as harpies, asked Holly. Think of us as three ghosts about to teach you the meaning of Christmas. That's not a promise, replied Taggart. Yes, Taggart, we'll conceal your identity, said Holly. Taggart finally nodded his assent, and the women cheered. They wasted no time in getting started. Taggart quietly complied and let his blackmailers into his master bathroom. Now strip, said Holly. You know, it's nothing we haven't seen already, and the quicker we have started, the quicker we can get you some clothes to cover up with. You think you may have won, but you won't get away with it, said Taggart as he removed his clothing. Angela carefully eased him down into the bathtub, where a warm bubble bath rapidly was filling up in the tub for him. He wasn't thrilled about the unmistakably feminine scent, which he knew would last even after the indignity of the bath was over. At least the rising bubbles provided a modicum of privacy. Taggart tried to get as comfortable as he could, and the women simply let him soak for ten minutes and enjoyed the soothing sensation in the hopes it would calm him. 
As Holly got up and approached him with a pink razor and a can of women's shaving cream, Taggart again got very nervous, but he dared not question her. Lift up your right leg, she ordered. Taggart glared at her as if he could force her brain to explode with the power of his mind. But soon, she was able to grab the businessman's leg. Beauty is such suffering, said Carol. Just relax, said Holly. I have a lot of shaving to do. Sure, replied Taggart. I don't suppose you want to tell me what this is all about? Since you asked nicely, I'll tell you. Do you know what the Christmas spirit is? Superficial goodwill designed to make consumers spend money, replied Taggart. Mm, that's actually a good definition, said Carol. Now, do you know what a sissy slave is? I guess a guy who acts like a girl and has to obey somebody else. Mm, that's pretty close, I guess. You are a sissy slave, and sissy slaves don't have body hair, so it needs to go. Of course, you're also going to be the spirit of Christmas. An angel come to earth to watch over Milk River. But people will notice. Calm down so I don't cut you, snapped Holly. I'm going to try to help you hide things from the rest of the town, but I can't promise they won't figure it out. Your best bet is to do a good job playing your part, just like you did as Ice Princess. That was a long time ago, said Taggart. Holly finished shaving Taggart's legs and the sparse few hairs on his chest. He was docile even as she removed what one of the most obvious vestiges of his masculinity. She looked down on his penis and noticed it was less than average sized, not that she had any interest in it. At least he wouldn't have a big telltale bulge in his panties. I see you haven't grown much down there in 20 years. Next, Holly quickly and efficiently shaved Taggart's underarms. He had almost no hair on his arms, so there was no need to shave there. She had him step out of the bubble bath and rubbed a sweet-scented lotion on his now smooth skin before Angela handed him one of his own bath towels and told himself to pat dry. This is so wrong, he commented. Let's go find you something appropriate to wear, said Holly. We want to catch the sunrise. As Angela kept a watchful eye on the prisoner, Carol and Holly brought in a large streamer trunk and opened it in front of Taggart. He immediately saw his first costume and went ashen. The angel outfit consisted of a silver metallic lace-up bodysuit with padded underwire cups, attached garter straps, paired with matching sleeves, and a tinsel halo headband. They had shimmering white stockings with a subtle silver design running through it and thigh-high silver boots with a five-inch heel. The women couldn't help smiling as they saw his horrified expression. I can't wear that, insisted Taggart. Don't worry, said Carol. We'll help you. Getting him into the angel outfit really wasn't as difficult as you might imagine, but the boots were another manner. I wish we were doing this like we did in high school, said Angela. He could use a gag. Patience, said Holly as she straightened Taggart's outfit. A wig and some makeup, and her angel will be ready. Carol's job was to do Taggart's makeup, but she wasn't using any ordinary drugstore brands. His lipstick was very difficult to remove, a stain and his mascara was equally stubborn to scrub off. The makeup had been selected to be very noticeable and very difficult to remove. Even the bright blue eyeshadow was waterproof and designed to last 24 hours. If he did decide to start fighting back, they wanted to make sure he had no choice but to be their angel. Still, just because Taggart was going to have a hard time removing it doesn't mean Carol would take any less care with the application. She wanted him to look like the spirit of Christmas. For some crazy reason, their plan to save Main Street depended on it. When Carol pronounced Taggart suitably made over, Holly and Angela cheered their creation. You know, said Holly, there's a chance this'll work. Thank goodness Jimmy kept his girlish figure, teased Angela.
Angela topped Taggart's head with a platinum bond wig that was designed to look close to a normal hair color that a person walking down Main Street in Milk River might have. But the hair also stood out, a hair that would match the silver motif that they had established. The change that the wig made to Taggart's appearance was profound. Considering he was nearly 40 and the last time anybody saw him made over was when he was 18, he looked pretty good. We don't have much time if we're setting up by sunrise, said Holly. Let's head over to the lumberyard. I never said you could use my lumberyard, replied Tiger. You let us dress you up like a Victoria's Secret model, but you're drawing a line at shooting on your property. Really? asked Holly. Don't forget the wings, said Carol. We better take the whole trunk with us, said Holly. I can't wear this outside, protested Tiger. Relax, tough guy. We'll get you a coat, said Angela. No, I mean it's, it's indecent, replied Tiger. It's fine, said Carol. It's also your only hope of nobody finding out who the Ice Princess of 2002 was. The drive to the lumberyard was short but eventful. The women were still celebrating their victory over Taggart, who was miserably contemplating an escape that would protect a shameful secret. He couldn't think of one. We're going to have to haul some reflectors up to the top of the hill, said Holly. The top of the hill? I can't walk up there on these heels, complained Taggart. You act like you have no experience with them, said Carol. If you need to. You can crawl, added Angela. No need to be mean, said Holly. You can take the boots off and put them on to climb. I have extra gym shoes that would fit you. I suppose that's better than nothing, said Taggart. It took a while to completely set up, but they were able to beat the sunrise. It was cold on the hillside in the flimsy little outfit that Taggart was wearing, but he was positioned, so the light of the rising sun illuminated him like some sort of protective beacon over the town below. The sledding hill was such a town icon, it was highly recognizable, and Holly's work was impeccable. I hope you're happy, said Taggart. I did as you wanted. I'm afraid we have you booked all day, sunshine, said Angela. It was only when they were making it down the hill that they saw the red pickup truck approaching. A familiar man was in the driver's seat, while an adorable white rat terrier stared out the window quizzically, as if she was confused by the angel as well. Are you shooting already, called out Doug. I heard something was going on at the lumberyard, and I thought somebody broke in. Why didn't you call me? Go home, said Carol. I'll talk to you about it in the office today. Is something wrong? I thought this is part of the pictorial project. You can't be part of this, Doug, said Holly. I don't understand, complained Doug. Just go, said Angela. Fine, but I'm doing this job because I care about this job, and I expect to be included, you know, said Doug. You might be getting my letter of resignation today. Doug got back in his truck and drove off. Trouble in paradise, asked Taggart. We just saved your ass from being found out, and that's your attitude, asked Angela. Let's get going, said Carol. Over the course of the day, Taggart appeared all over the town as the spirit of Christmas. He was a diner at Edna May's, a shopper at the Ivory Box, a skater on the pond, and a drinker of hot apple cider at Hoppelman's. He even received a mani-pedi at the town's newest business, Nailed It. Each location had a different outfit, but always in that white and silver theme, and the hair and makeup made it obvious it was the same person. It took some cajoling and bullying, but they never had to resort to tying him up or punishing him. Taggart was surprised how easily people accepted him as a woman in costume, and was grateful he retained his ability to walk in heels from his ice princess days. Town council meetings usually don't have much attendance, but the December 15th one sure did. The pictorial had been completed, and the prince would be on display. The town was thrilled with how the picture had turned out. Even Mr. Hoppelman couldn't help but smile when he saw how Holly made his shop look. 
You did wonderful, said Victoria Paulus from the diner. You really captured the best of our town. How in the world did you get Taggart to do it? Taggart, asked Holly in mock surprise. The spirit of Christmas? I can't believe what a good sport he was, said Victoria. Keep it under your hat, said Holly. Nobody's supposed to know. Everybody was talking about it. Maybe we were wrong about him, replied Victoria. The meeting was just about to start when Jim Taggart entered the chambers. He was immediately set upon by people thanking him for what he did for the town. He started to turn bright red and was about to go give Carol Bussey a piece of his mind when he realized that people were genuinely thanking him and not mocking him. He was flabbergasted. Uh, well, you know it's acting, right? said Taggart rhetorically. As a throng mob Taggart, Doug handed Holly a cup of hot cocoa. He shook his head. So that angel walking down the hill was Taggart? I don't even know where to begin. We blackmailed him into it. That makes sense. I couldn't see him doing something for the good of the town, replied Doug. The reason we couldn't tell you is that we thought Carol would have to step down as mayor if Taggart made a stink. Blackmail is very illegal, explained Holly. You could have explained, said Doug. Not without implicating you, replied Holly. It was a judgment call, but Carol made it. That's why she's such a good mayor. I wouldn't have cared if I got implicated, said Doug. The last act Carol was going to do as mayor and was to try to nominate you as her replacement, replied Holly. Why is Angela staring at us, asked Doug. I think she's waiting for us to kiss, replied Holly. Why would we kiss, asked Doug. Well, if you don't know, I'm not sure I should tell you, said Holly. You want me to kiss you, asked Doug. Oh, shut up, said Holly as she grabbed Doug's chin and planted a passionate kiss right on his lips. Did the pictorial save Milk River? Kind of. Sort of. It did generate good publicity for the crowd. But even more important, all of the adulation was addictive to Taggart. With the town's mayor and the town's number one developer working together, they were able to keep the old spirit of the town alive while welcoming progress. As the town's official photographer, as well as the owner of Bell's Photography Studio, Holly was there to record it all. Merry Christmas. As I said before, if you enjoy that audio and you'd like to support us, uh, you can find it at Clips for Sale, and I'd really appreciate it. Um, I used to get that advertisement at the beginning of the podcast, which I know probably annoyed some of you about how you can make your own Anchor podcast. But that is long gone, and so the only monetary um, reward for this podcast comes from our subscribers, and I wanted to thank our newest subscriber, Scott. Thank you so much. That means a lot. But otherwise, we, we're kind of dependent on you buying clips and, uh, you know, the subscribers to keep us going, so we appreciate when you do. Now, I don't want to make this a PBS pledge drive. But just a, a little reminder. Also, um, we still, you know, we'll be here next week, and we will be here the the week after. But I didn't want to like wait until after Christmas to do a good Christmas audio. So I hope you enjoyed it. And even if you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope you enjoyed the the femdom and, and feminization aspects of that one. I've got a lot of good audios coming up, uh, read by your favorite mistresses. And I think it's going to be a great season ahead. Thanks for tuning in. I will be back next week, and I hope you will be too. Bye-bye.